had a great time in Guatemala, but it is good to be here with you guys. Missed you very much. Uh, missed you last week. Uh, sorry we weren't able to make it, but believe me, you didn't want us here the way Ann and I were feeling that day. But we traveled, uh, uh, I don't know how many thousands of miles it was to Guatemala, and we met people who didn't speak the same language as us and, uh, and uh, looked different than we are, uh, shorter than we are, and yet we were brothers and sisters in Christ, and that, again, was a wonderful experience. And uh, we got to meet some other people who were doing mission work uh, in the airport or on the airplane again, good experience meeting a fellow Christian in a place like that, knowing that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves. But for me to be back here today, to be here with you is just this wonderful, wonderful gift from God, and I just really appreciate you and appreciate being here. And uh, I just want to tell you that. And Jamie, are you, are you still here? Where are you? There you are. There you are. How old is Avery? Four months. Four months old, right? So, I don't know, a month or two ago, you know, we were talking, I said, well, we're going to have to find somebody else to do VBS. And they said, oh, no, we're not. Jamie's going to do it anyway. And I, I was just amazed that you were going to go ahead and take that ministry again with a four-month-old baby. So thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Really do appreciate that. Uh, we had a great time yesterday. Uh, we went to Maple. Shady Maple up in Lancaster restaurant to celebrate my father's 85th birthday. It was supposed to be a surprise party, and in a sense it was. Um, my brother had planned it, his, him and his wife had planned it for several months, and emails going out and all of that stuff, and, uh, and they told, my dad said, this, this coming Saturday on the 5th, we're going to go out and celebrate your birthday, just him and Robert and Connie, and uh, he got the idea, he started calling people and inviting them to his, to his birthday party, not knowing that they'd already been invited. And so Connie contacts everybody and said, tell him you can't come. But nobody would do that. My wife said, I can't do that. I don't want to hurt his feelings, you know. So everybody said, well, we'll try to make it. So he was surprised in a different way. But it was a good time, good to be with our scripture reading today comes from um, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Paul writes this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we am. Um, we're so glad for um, who you are. We're so glad that you are holy and righteous and just and pure. That you're not tempted by evil nor do you ever tempt anyone with evil. You're good. And whether anyone sees it or understands it or not, the 
though the whole world is steeped in sin, the very fact that you are holy is so good. And we thank you that you are. We thank you that you're also loving and merciful and kind. And because of that love, you sent your son into this world to die in our place, to pay for our sins which separated us from you, that we might be reunited with you and enjoy you forever. We thank you for your spirit that you've given us to live inside of us, to enable us to live this life you've called us to. And we thank you for your word. It's really just wonderful gift to humankind. God-breathed, trustworthy, reliable, inerrant truth. And we thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through this word. We ask that you would do so again here today. That you would speak to our hearts and that we would hear you speak. That we would embrace what you say to us and that we would endeavor to put it into practice. And, Father, as for me, I pray that you would allow me to disappear behind that wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. That he and he alone exalted in our midst this day. And it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. So one of the um, accusations, uh, charges that is sometimes leveled uh, uh, against the church is that it's full of hypocrites. You may have heard that accusation yourself, that complaint yourself. I, I know I have, and one response is to say, well, that's okay. Um, there's room for more. Come and join us. And uh, you can judge for yourself if uh, such a response is likely to draw the lost to Christ. I really don't think it is. But this, uh, this morning, I'm really more concerned about our understanding of that charge. So are there hypocrites in the church? And the answer to that is yes, uh, Indeed, certainly there are in every church, including the one that Jesus pastored. But the church is not full of hypocrites. A, a church that was would just be an utter abomination, and everyone would know it and would see through it. The church certainly isn't full of hypocrites. What it is full of is sinners, uh, uh, forgiven sinners, to be sure, but sinners nonetheless, but not necessarily hypocrites. You see, it's not hypocrisy for us to preach against sin and fail ourselves unless we pretend that we are not guilty in some way. You see, Christianity teaches us that everyone, including Christians, that we sin. And when we sin, we need to confess that sin, and we need to repent of it. And when we sin and then confess it and repent, then we're 
should do. We are living the faith. We are practicing what we preach. And that is not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is like the preacher that my mother knew when she was a little girl whose favorite sermons, I probably told you this before, but his favorite sermons were against the evils of alcohol and yet the local moonshiners stopped by the parsonage every week, picked up the empty mason jars. Well, one of them wasn't empty. It had money in it. And he left those full mason jars, which were then empty the next week. Everyone in town knew that. That's hypocrisy. The recovering alcoholic who has, has warned his friends to get clean and, and then falls off the wagon himself is simply a sinner. And if he confesses that sin and he repents, then he's a restored sinner. And if he keeps falling off, it keeps failing, but he keeps trying, then he's a struggling sinner. But he's not a hypocrite unless he has tried to hide it or to pretend that everything is okay. And for you and I, one of the most uncomfortable things we ever have to do is to admit our failure, to admit our sin to an unbeliever, especially if we have been witnessing to them, especially if we have been trying to live in a way that honors God in our lives and they have seen us fail. And we have to admit it to them. Well, what else can we do but do that, to confess it and to repent it? Do we blame others? Do we excuse it? Do we laugh it off? There really is only one thing we can do, and that is live faith and repent. And what's always interesting to me is that the, the lost person almost always understands and accepts, that is, if you've really been genuine in trying to live out the faith and walking with Christ and you really have been trying to love other people. I remember one, having time, one time having to do that very thing with Charles. He, he was a man that worked for me on a construction project. This is going back years and years ago, and uh, uh, we were in a house, and he was on a different floor. He was up on the second floor, and I was on the first floor, and and, uh, and I was frustrated, and in a moment of that frustration, I expressed it out loud to myself, but out loud, and, uh, and I expressed it in a way that I was not and am not proud of, and I didn't know whether he heard me or not, uh, but I knew what I had to do, and so... As it turns out, he, he didn't know anything had happened until after I had told him what I had done. And, and you know what? Because I admitted that to him and I confessed that to him, it became the gospel to him. He, he saw that that faith was real and it wasn't just a game with me. He never said to me, he said, Pastor Larry, that's okay. He said, I understand. This is what we have to do. We admit it, we confess it, and we repent. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. It's never too late to set things right, and the sooner you do so, the better, if you think back to some such incident in your life. So when we understand what hypocrisy really is, we, we can avoid it, and we can, we can help others who have maybe been hurt by it, and we can maybe effectively answer our critics, and who knows, maybe they'll hear the truth, and that truth will set them. But there really is another source, besides the fact that we're all sinners that need to confess and repent all the time.
time. There's another source for that charge of hypocrisy when it's leveled against the church and therefore against Christians. And when this accusation is made, it's uh, far more serious. And, and so often it's not just a misunderstanding, but it's based in truth. You see, when we don't forgive others, we are, if not outright hypocrites, we are in danger of becoming one. See, being forgiven and forgiving others um, really goes right to the very core of our faith. It, it really is not too much to say that Christianity is built on the concept of forgiveness. Yeah, I know we could get kind of technical. We could say, well, it's really built on love. And it is, but but when you deal with people, you're dealing with sinners, and, and when you deal with sinners, then you have to be willing to forgive them. And that really is one of the prime expressions of our love. Our entire faith is built on the fact that God loves us and forgives us because of that love. He forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. You see, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all sin, all people, all sin, of all people, of all time. And that blood was shed for every single human being there is. Now, of course, it doesn't do you any good if you don't appropriate it. If you don't ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior, then, then, then it doesn't help you. But once you do that, it belongs to you. And it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. But you know, there's something else we know about forgiveness, or we ought to, and that is that it's really something that's freely given. It, 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 it's something that you cannot earn. It, it's something that that you have to simply receive. It's freely given to you, and, and as long as you're trying to earn forgiveness, you you won't receive the gift that God is trying to give you. So you can kind of like this, you're in a, in a tall building, and you're way up near the top, and that building's on fire, and you can't get out. And there's nowhere to go, nowhere to go up, nowhere to go down, nowhere to go sideways. But there's a tightrope that's just stretching out the window of that building to another building over there. But you can't walk that rope. There's a man there with you, and he can do it. And he's willing to pick you up and walk across that rope and take you to safety. But as long as you're trying to hold on to that rope, building or whatever, he can't get you there. So you, you have to let go and let God do it. So you have to receive that free gift that comes from God. Of course, that doesn't mean you, you're not sorry for your sin. It doesn't mean you shouldn't repent. Of course, you should. You make restitution if you can, but you simply cannot earn forgiveness. And we can go farther and say this. We can say that accepting the gift enables you to respond to God's grace in the appropriate way. And that's just the point, you see. With the free gift of God's forgiveness, there comes a responsibility. And this really is not anything that's unusual. Just because a gift is free doesn't mean that there aren't responsibilities that come with it. So if you were given a million dollars... Uh, it would be a free gift to you, but but having that money makes you responsible in how you use it. To whom much is given, much is also required. And with forgiveness, what God gives us comes responsibility. 
basis of no less an authority than Jesus Christ himself. You cannot have the one without the other. Jesus ties them together, which really brings us to our text this uh, morning, and that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I'd like to invite you to join me in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen, but it's nice if you have your Bible. You can make notes in it. But in any case, we're going to look at that passage, Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. And this passage we're looking at comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and it really comes at the end of the Lord's Prayer, which will help us, I think, understand the passage a little better. So we may refer to that a little bit. But I want to begin simply by reading the text. And so Jesus is speaking here, and this is what he says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew, I tell you, this is an ironclad truth, and we're going to try to look at it and understand it a little bit better. But before we do that, I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge how uncomfortable this is for some people and how hard it may seem to some and how unfair it may sound to other people. Some people may even think that, that for them it's impossible. They, they might think that they can't forgive that particular person or they can't forgive that particular thing that's done been done to them. Or maybe they've tried and they fail and they've given up. And I'm going to tell you if you're in that situation, there really is hope because if you set out to do what God tells you to do, to try to forgive others, then God will come alongside of and help you in that process. What he commands, he enables. When he tells you to do something, he helps you to do it. It may not be easy, but it can be done because God is there with you. And so we are called to forgive one another. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin by looking more closely at verse 15, which really I think if you read it carefully, I, I don't know if you've ever kind of thought about this when you've read that uh, verse, but but it, it kind of raises a serious question for us, or it can, it's, and that is, can you lose your salvation if you don't forgive someone? So let's read verse 15. It says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if you don't forgive someone else, do you lose your salvation and end up in hell? Well, the, the simple answer to that is no. That, that's not what it means. And, and I base that on the broader teaching of the Scriptures. We don't have time to go into all of that today, but if that is an issue for you, I want you to come and see me. You call the church, you call me on my cell phone, I'll sit down, I'll share with you, I'll talk with you, look into the Scriptures, I'll help you get to a place where you understand that truth. But you see, the Bible tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He it tells us that we have passed from death into life when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we right now, I have eternal life. It's mine. My body might die, but I won't. I have that now. I'm in his hands. I'm his child, and he will in no wise cast me out. And so the simple answer to that is no, you can't lose your salvation if you don't give, but what does Jesus mean when he says that? Why did he 
put it that way? What is he trying to tell us? Well, maybe the first thing we need to understand is that he is talking to his people here. And I think it applies to the unbeliever in a different way than it does to us. I think for the unbeliever, Jesus really would be saying something like this. You know, if you won't forgive someone else who sinned against you, how can you expect to be forgiven? But to us, who are forgiven, and if we don't forgive, then what does it mean? Well, what it means is, is that we begin bearing the weight of our sins daily. So we don't lose our salvation, but, but the weight of our sins returns. And so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives this parable, you know, and, and the servant's forgiven this enormous amount of debt, and, and then he goes and finds some other servant that owes him a little bit of money, and he grabs him and chokes him and has him thrown into prison. And um, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read the last couple of uh, sentences there. It says, In anger his master handed that original servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart until he paid all that he owed and what he owed was forgiveness. So when we don't forgive, we begin to bear the weight of our sins once again. And, and this passage comes at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And so, so in that prayer, what are we doing? We're praying to our Father in that one passage, that, that he would forgive us our debts. Uh, and, and we do that as we, uh, as we eat our daily bread, you know. And he asks that we forgive him our debts, the, the sins we commit every single day of our life. And we do so as we forgive others. And you see, when his blood-bought child doesn't forgive someone else, he begins to allow the way their sin to press down upon them, to pile up on them, and it becomes an enormous burden, and it will break us down. And there are some people who are so tired. They are so tired of bearing that weight. And either they just simply Certainly, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And at the 
not happening because we're not forgiving. But not only that, we're not hallowing God's name. We're not honoring His name because we won't forgive Him. We're not advancing His kingdom. We're not doing His will because we're not forgiving. Even our daily bread, and He may still be giving us food, but that spiritual nourishment begins to suffer. And we already are captured by the evil because we're not forgiving. tell you, God is bigger than all. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than the one who has sinned against you. He's bigger than the sin itself. And the truth will, if you put it into practice, it will set you free. So if you don't forgive, you begin burying the weight of your sin again. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your confidence in your relationship. And then there's the other passage there that we're going to look at uh, where Jesus in verse 4 is talking about what happens when we do forgive other people. And again, as with 15, we're going to answer a kind of a little bit of a potential problem, a misunderstanding there before we look at what it means. Because someone who reads this might begin to wonder, is this how I earn my salvation? So verse 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So someone reads that, they might think, okay, by forgiving other people, that's that's how I'm going to earn God's forgiveness. And, of course, it's not true. We can't earn God's forgiveness. And, again, the Bible is clear on that. We are saved by, through faith. It's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. No one can boast. That's the undeniable teaching of the Scriptures that salvation comes to us, being forgiven by God, comes to us as a free gift. I have to tell you, a lost person, I think, who took that passage and, and tried to put it into practice, tried forgiving other people, I think that person would then be opening themselves up to God's work in their lives. But you know, they can never get there. They can never enter God's family on their own steam. God still would have to come alongside of them. He would still have to show them their need, their need themselves for that forgiveness of What's happening here is something different. See, when a believer forgives another person, then God lifts off of them the weight of their own sin, the sins that you and I commit every single day of our life again. And so once again, we taste afresh and new the sweetness and the light and the joy and the relief of our forgiveness. Maybe not to the degree when we were first became Christians, because the weight isn't as big, but we taste that peace again. Now, you may not always feel like you taste it when you forgive, but try not forgiving for a period of time. And then begin experiencing that weight that comes back on you. And when finally you release that person and you forgive them, it's that sweetness of goodness it brings the aroma of our salvation to us, and, and it affects us in a positive way. It affects your relationship with God in a positive way. Now he's no longer distant. It's no longer formal. It's not just an employer. He becomes your heavenly father and your child, and it affects your relationship with other people. Again, there's this openness to you and to your spirit that just 
forgiving other people means this burden comes off of us again, and we can, we can live in joy and peace, and we can be a positive influence on other people. And that's what this passage is sin too big or hurt or too terrible to forgive. And and I said that already, but I can say it again. You know, God's Word teaches us that. God's love shows us that. God Himself will enable you when you start to forgive, no matter how bad that sin is. And sometimes you have to start way back. You have to begin by admitting you don't want to forgive. You have to begin by asking God to change your heart, but I'm telling you, if you do that, if you start, you will find God in that corner. You will find Him at work in your heart. You will find Him changing Jesus is possibly sitting there waiting for 
for them when they do repent. Just like God's forgiveness is there for us, waiting for us when we turn. And the last thing I want to say is that sometimes forgiveness is a process. You know, some people say, nah, God just tells you forgive, so you just forgive. Okay, if you can do that, that's fine. And, and I'm happy to do that. I can tell you in my life, those sins that were big against me, it was a process. And in my experience as a pastor, it's a process that people go through. And if you're able just to do it in one fell swoop, and Lord bless you, be patient with the rest of us. But it really is. He uses the illustration of more like peeling an onion, you know. See this layer, and you forgive, and you peel off that, and you shed some tears, and you realize there's more sin there, and you continue that process until you get to the end. And I'm here to tell you, because of the grace of God and the goodness of God, you can get to the end. So. to live the faith. We need to slam the door on hypocrisy. We need to try to live in a way then in which we honor our God. And in a way in which we can enjoy the life that he's called us to. And forgiveness plays that central role in our lives. And this table right here really represents everything It's a symbol of our communion with the living God who has forgiven us. But it's also a symbol of our communion, our friendship, our fellowship with God. And so to fully participate, we need God's forgiveness and we need to be extended in that forgiveness. Um, I'd like to ask the men that are going to help me serve communion. 